Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Okay, we're going we're gonna to look at Job 19, but today we're recording in the same room. We're in the same room. It's kind of weird. Yep. It is Sharing weird. one microphone. I don't know that I like looking at you while we're <laughs> it, doing this. It is awkward. <laughs> it feels a bit like being in confession, maybe, without the, <laughs> without the wall in the middle. Yeah. Um, it is kind of awkward, so... Why are we in the same room? Yeah, I don't know. Usually I don't get dressed for these. I just <laughs> you know, in my, my pajamas like the, like the news guys. So, uh, no, but it's good to have you in town. It's we're in my office. Just so Austin. you know that that just ruined all the other times we do this podcast. <laughs> now, now, there, now there's an image. Yeah. That's fine. I don't, I don't care. I'm fine with oh, that. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah. So, we're in Austin. We're in my office at my church. Um, why did you come all the way from Tuscaloosa to Austin? Yeah. Um, we're doing a workshop this week uh, on preaching. So we're in a a Simeon Trust workshop, which is basically a few days of pastors getting into a room and cutting up texts of scripture and analyzing them, turning them over one way or the other. What's the main difference between like a conference that you go to and a Simeon Trust workshop? Uh, Yeah, so this one, I am sent two passages ahead of time. Everybody is Mm -hmm. sent two passages ahead of time, and we're required to do work before we even come. So we're, we're, we come here with worksheets in hand filled out that have all of our so-called, whatever you want to say, answers to mm-hmm. or suggestions to how we would divide up a text and preach it, really. I mean, give an outline and, and the point of the text and all that kind of stuff. And then we sit in a group and, I guess, kind of critique critique and help and, mm-hmm. you know, encourage. And that the three-legged things. stool is there's instruction on how to study the Bible. Yeah. There's exposition, there are examples of preaching, and then the small groups are opportunities for us to turn in our work and get critique on it. Yeah. So this is a conference where you pay money, then they give you homework, and then they tell you how bad you were at it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that you can get better. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, the, my small group's been amazing this week. It's pretty much usually my one of my favorite parts Absolutely. is sitting around with guys, getting to know guys, um, getting good feedback on your work. Um, growing and just seeing other guys grow. I mean, the, I almost always see guys. I had a big moment this morning where uh, I, it was just clear this guy was growing. He's just yeah. getting better uh, just from yesterday. Yeah. He's yeah. learning things. Um, so that's just, that's a that's a fun part. It's, it's a real joy. Uh, but also just trying to pick up your, grow in your own humility. Because if you don't get critiqued a lot and you show up, it can, it can sting a little bit. Yeah. At first, but yeah, it's a really good practice. Well, and the other really hard part about this one, which is harder than any other one that I've done, is we're doing wisdom literature. Specifically, we're focusing on Job, the book of Job, uh-huh. which is a book that we kind of know in overview. Like, I think most I think people... We typically think about the first three chapters. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Job and, suffers. He worships God. Man, what a good example. Maybe a verse here and there that mm-hmm. like rings a bell. We've heard that verse before. Mm-hmm. Couldn't tell you that it was in the book of Job, but yeah. that kind of thing. And then and and so we know it in in a cursory overview, but but it's also really long. The passages are really long and it's poetry, which is super hard. I mean, it's, I think poetry is probably the hardest genre of scripture particularly in the old testament to to grab have you ever written a poem for your wife uh oh my goodness you know what i might have (laughs) i know i wrote one i know i wrote one one time that wasn't for her okay she she wanted me to write it oh and it was for a project that she was doing i remember that I think I might have written her. I've probably written her more prose than poetry. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know. Cool. Yeah. So, 
no one will ever lay hands <laughs> on. You didn't bring a sample with no, you. No, <laughs> I would never. That's one of those. That's one of those that like your wife thinks it's cute, but no one else would. You know. <laughs> there's, there's. And we abs- don't really know how she feels. She no. might be protecting you, actually. So, uh, yeah, poetry can be hard. I don't think we. I think it's because for one, we typically don't live in poetry. Our closest yeah. experience of poetry is song right and uh it's not the same no the way we experience song today with the rhythm the beats the music behind it the the, the rhyming even yeah um we tend to to link poetry to rhyming yeah and that's not necessarily the totality of poetry by any stretch certainly ancient poetry biblical poetry um so how do we study poetry like how do we go at do we go at it differently so let's say we're reading you're you're preaching matthew i'm preaching revelation uh there's poetry in some of those maybe there's yeah and revelation is certainly a lot closer to the genre of poetry sure. than, than anything else yeah. but, but at the same time it's it's like the difference between picking up um a, a legal document and a story like right they both have words right and that's they, about the end of the similarity. They read differently. <laughs> uh, they're structured differently. Well, I think, too, like, honestly, I think if you were just to sit down and talk with the average person reading their Bible, when they get to poetry, the images that are presented mm-hmm. are often old images. Mm-hmm, sure. They take a, a lot of, like, thought of going, what in the world is he talking about before you can ever begin to then start to unpack it. And so a lot of people just sort of skim past it. I don't know what he's saying. 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 Mm -hmm. And there's no, like, there's no reflection piece, you know, time period of reflection. And I think it takes a lot of that just to even unpack some of those images, which is hard. The images and also the length. We're going through Job on Sunday mornings in a building block, and that was one of the main things we talked about is it feels really repetitive. And it goes on and on and on and on, and it's all. I mean, it's it's kind of like reading Leviticus in poetry form. Well, you get to Leviticus in your uh, Bible reading plan. That's where most dropouts happen yep. oh, in your yeah. annual reading yeah. plan. And then if you get to Job, it's like the poetry version. It's just like yeah. it all sounds the same. It's yeah. so long. You have to read so much to get to a point. Um, so, what are some things that we would use to begin to even make sense of? A book like, and I think we're going to focus on Job specifically, yeah. not initially like all poetry, um, at least most of our time. But how do we how do we get into poetry? How do we jump in? Yeah, so I think uh, a couple of things to to remember. Like we a couple of weeks ago, we did pausing, reflecting on scripture. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful. There are a couple of, like helpful tools mm-hmm. that I think can help anybody just unpack scripture itself. Mm-hmm. How do you actually read the Bible? Mm-hmm. How do you benefit from it? And I don't think you can really go far in a passage to under in in understanding without first looking at how it's built, mm-hmm. like how the how the author has actually arranged the passage, mm-hmm. and that means that you're looking at. Is he repeating words frequently? Mm-hmm. Is he doing some of the same things? Like, is he is is there a common theme between eight, mm-hmm. ten, twelve verses, or even mm-hmm. just a few verses? Mm-hmm. Is there a common theme running throughout them? If so, what is that theme? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, like repeated words, things like that. Yeah, help Vo- you. Help voices you. change. Yeah, yeah. Who he's talking to? Mm-hmm. What he's ta- maybe somebody else starts talking. Mm-hmm. Is he is the direction of the of the talking mm-hmm. changes? Is he first talking like in yeah. Psalms? He'll talk to yeah. the crowd, and then he'll talk to the Lord, and they'll Job talk back to the that. crowd. Job does that too. Mm. So th- you want to kind of figure out how it's built. And I think one thing that the workshop especially is good at pointing out is that how it's built can often indicate what the emphasis of the passage is, what the meaning of the passage is, those kinds of things. And so, But that that is like step one, is like mm-hmm. just stop and figure out how is the passage built. Yeah. And so I the think the way it, we've heard it said over and over and over is every text has a structure. Mm-hmm. So every text has like a bone structure, has a frame. Every text has an order and a rhyme. Maybe it's a question and answer. Every text has a structure. Every structure has an emphasis. 
So every structure will show this is the door in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> this is where the window is. Every uh, the the structure will show you that, and then that's the point. Yeah, that's the main thing in that passage. The um, the emphasis reveals the the message of that chapter. Yeah, that's what we're looking at. Yeah. So I think it's helpful if we would just take Job nineteen. Let's try to walk through this passage. Why are we doing Job nineteen? I don't know. <laughs> uh, what are we doing here? here so, so here, this this may help. There's a verse in there. Job 19 was yeah. one of the passages that I was assigned. Oh, now so that, that's helpful. Now, okay, now we so it know. gives me a head start. Yeah. I get a cheat sheet, basically. I I feel like I'm going to look really dumb here, having <laughs> having done a little work. You practiced. I'm yeah. not caught unawares. All right. <laughs> um, so it's helpful to. For me to do, we'll just go through Job nineteen and and first we're just identifying the structure. That's should, all we're looking for. But, but should we just mention there's a verse in there? Can we just get it out there? There's this verse in there. I know my redeemer lives. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that I mean I can't. I'm not gonna What's do justice, f- Nicole C. Mullen. You're, I, th- I was really hoping you'd try to sing it. No. I, you're, you want to? I, I know. Do. I really it's want to. It's in your bones, man. I know that. 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 I know. What a great song! What a great song! What, so that's an. So here's an example. I think this is going to show the importance of what we're doing, the importance of Bible study, and how we're doing it. What's the first tone or mood, or thought that comes to your mind when someone comes up to you and says, "I know that my Redeemer lives." Yeah, it's like a hopeful, like a um, confident, yeah. uh, uh, like it's sort of like a champion verse. You yeah. know, it's like the. You know, this is a great coffee mug. Pin it, yeah. Pin it to the wall. Put it on your coffee yeah. mug. I know that my redeemer this is lives. It's gonna be so good. Yeah, man. Yeah. So okay. Let's look at so sh- just structure. Put that in your pocket. We're gonna come back. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Structure. So that's not and that's not until the yeah. I know that my redeemer lives is not until 25. the twenty five. Yeah, twenty five. So we're we're not even there yet. Yeah. So but just looking at structure. Just structure. We obviously know verse one right out of the gate. Job is answering somebody, which that's going to come back in just a second when yeah. we get to context. But but first, structure. His the beginning of his answer starts in verse two. He asks, "How long will you torment me and break me in pieces?" Um, again, this is Job nineteen, so it'd be helpful probably for everybody to just follow along in their Bible. But uh, how long will you torment me, break me in pieces with your words? Ten times you've cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I've erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make me uh, my disgrace an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry violence. I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. He he has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. And my hope, he uh, has he pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my nets already we're seeing like this repeated he 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 Mm -hmm. job is is saying god has done this to me Mm -hmm. now you could even probably say at the very beginning he's rebuking his friends Mm -hmm. for being a torment to him Mm -hmm. which should be noted Mm -hmm. i think that he Mm -hmm. that little section up there at the front probably one to maybe through six or so Mm -hmm. there he's pushing back against his friends and saying Mm -hmm. you you know rebuking them Mm -hmm. and and maybe in seven transitions to saying all the things that god has done to him and uh and that's probably debatable it could be one through 12 or it could Mm -hmm. be just the seven to 12 there he's talking about god has done this but the point being, at the very beginning, we know Job is talking about the things that God has done to him personally and the ways that he has kind of set traps for, mm-hmm. for Job. He has, you know, ensnared him, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. Mm-hmm. And then you go to 13, and it, you can even see the ESV editors kind of put a little space there to tell you that they think it changes, mm-hmm. his, his something changes. 
And it, and it kind of does. He says in 13, he has put my brothers far from me. And then in 14, he says, my relatives, brothers, relatives in 14, mm-hmm. my close friends at the second half of 14, 15, the guests in my house, mm-hmm. uh, 16, my servant, uh, 17, my wife, my, the, my breath is strange to my wife. In the second half of 17, my children, uh, 18, young children despise me. Uh, all my intimate friends abhor me. My best friends, they abhor me. Um, so, and, and so then in 21, he again comes to his friends. So we're seeing like 13 all the way to 22-ish mm-hmm. is another kind of section where he's talking about he's he's really taking all of my relatives. Yeah, He's taking all my, my, my relationships. So it sounds like what you're saying is to kind of come to a point is even if you were to just group 2 through 20 together, just say as an example, right. it's not saying 20 things. Right, right, right. This is not twenty. This is not a twenty-point sermon, right? By Job, he's really only saying two, maybe three things. Yes, right. Maybe just one, and, one thing. And I think what's important mm-hmm. too to note in these first probably twenty-two verses at least, he's saying, "God has done this to me." Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. Like, and so the part I think that's helpful about that is as you kind of start going down the structure and go, what is six doing? What is seven doing? What is eight doing? Mm-hmm. You start to see some commonality between the verses mm-hmm. and you go, oh, wait, okay. Those are all grouped together mm-hmm. and they're all saying to me that, uh, or, or Job is all saying the same thing really about all of them that mm-hmm. God has done this to me. You could say in the first part up to verse 12, he has, he has really ensnared me. He's hemmed in my way. I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. He, he's making me suffer. Yeah. And then how is he making me suffer? Well, he's taking all my relationships too. It's yeah. not just enough that he's, he's inflicted me and yeah. my body, but he has also taken my relationships. My wife mm-hmm. hates me. Mm-hmm. My children are dead. Well, I mean, he doesn't necessarily. My breath is strange to my wife. Yeah. So could mean he needs to brush his teeth. Or it could mean that every time he walks in a room, she wants him to leave. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Or both. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, right after you eat garlic. It's bad. It's kind of yeah. the same yeah. deal, you know. Yeah, but so, uh, but but the point is, like, all my relationships mm-hmm. uh, ha- are, you know, odorous. Right. They're, 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 there's no, you know, that, that I'm in isolation. I'm right. in complete isolation. It afflicted me personally, and I'm also in torment and that so way. there's also kind of a... Uh, what Simeon Trust calls top and tail or a beginning or an end where it repeats at the beginning or repeats at the end what it began with. So he starts with his friends in verse 2. How long will you torment me and break me into pieces? Yep. And then at the end of his arguments, uh, he's telling his friends again in verse 21, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? And why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Yeah. So that kind of shows structurally he began telling his friends, how long are you going to torment me with your words? He ends by saying, why can't you just let me be? Yeah. Why do you have to keep pushing? Yeah. Uh, so that structure tells us there's a unit, there's a beginning, and, there's an end. This is one thing. And if you were if you were reading, if you were, obviously you'd kind of want to start at the beginning of Job. Yeah. And you'd want to read in, right? Yeah. If you did start at the beginning of Job, you would see that when his friends get there, mm-hmm. they came for comfort. Mm-hmm. They sat with him for seven days without saying a word mm-hmm. before they ever began to offer a word of comfort to him. Mm-hmm. And by the time we get to 19, they're torturing him. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, it has taken a turn, a very mm-hmm. sour turn, yeah. this whole conversation has. Yeah, the conversation has really gotten low. Right. This is, we've gotten beyond philosophy to now they're uh, name-calling and yeah. making fun of each other. Yeah, you call me stupid, I'll call you stupid. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So then we also see a change in 23. Again, in the ESV, they make a little space there because they're mm-hmm. indicating there is a change. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not authoritative. That's just they're, mm-hmm. somebody's making that decision. But they say in 23, Oh, that my words, this is Job again, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. 
And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say how we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know that there is a judgment. All right. So it turns at the end, the very end of that section, to point back to the friends again. And there's this section in in between where Job is 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 basically saying that there will be a day for my relief and the Lord will come and vind- and really give me vindication mm-hmm. uh, in, in this in this matter. Mm-hmm. Because we've already seen, he's alluded to several times, without even reading right now another chapter or section, mm-hmm. that, that the, his friends have obviously made some arguments against him, and he's defending himself to one degree or another. Mm-hmm. So we can see the breakdown. We got, let's just call it 1 to 12... He's attacked me personally, mm-hmm. at, you know, obviously pushing back against the friends, but he's attacked me personally. Mm-hmm. 13 to 22, he's touched my personal relationships. Mm-hmm. He, he's isolated me. 23 to 29, but mm-hmm. he will vindicate me, mm-hmm. right? So we, we can see those sort of themes. Now, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah, when I would, I think the important thing would be to ask first, before we leave this, that kind of moment to the next movement, what would we summarize the emphasis being? What do we think the structure is? So we've just said the structure, every passage has a structure. Structure reveals the emphasis. What do we think the emphasis is um, before we move on? So, like, you've got the big, if you, if you just group together 2 through 22, you have the addressing of the friends on both ends. You guys are tormenting me. Why don't you have mercy on me? Leave me alone. This is getting old. And then you have that passage you just read. Uh, I know my Redeemer lives. Uh, I'm going to see God in the flesh. I'll see him for myself. And then the, you should be afraid. Wrath comes. Punishment comes. Uh, you know that there is a judgment. So what would we say would be kind of the emphasis in a sentence or two in this passage? I think Job is saying all of the things that have happened to me, God himself has brought to me, yeah. but will one day vindicate me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his friends should be worried, afraid. Yes, yeah, because yeah. you'll see in the end. Yeah, I think friends should be. So afraid. I think that's a great emphasis sentence. He's upset at his friends. He's explaining what God has done to him. He's trusting God for his vindication that He will see him, and. His friends should be afraid. Yeah. So what? That's not even the full argument. Yeah. No. It's not even the fullness, yeah. but that's the pieces that are there. Right. Yep. Okay. And we have just taken Hebrew poetry and broken it down, and already gotten some teachable things. I right? feel like a pro with your help. Right. There we go. <laughs> I feel like I could. I could do this. All right. Yep. So we, if we've got the structure, yeah. Now we move on to context. Mm-hmm. What do we do with context? Context, we're looking for three things. We're looking for uh, literary context. So you're looking for the passages around your passage. Ultimately, that could expand as big as the whole Bible, per se, but you really want to look at the chapters right before, right after. Uh, If you're just looking at a few verses, you want to look at the verses before, verses after. Job is mostly a debate between his friends and discussion with God uh, after chapter 3. And so you you want to look at the other art the other rounds of the debate the other speeches that the friends have given, and you want to see. And so like in ours in nineteen one you mentioned earlier, Job answers. This is an answer to something. This is not just Job. It's not just his turn to give a speech. He's answering someone else's statement. So that means chapter eighteen then seems to be part of the reason Job says what he says in verse 19. So that's going to be real important for the context. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That is the context. Yeah, pretty much. This didn't. This is not just a proverb that you could put in a fortune cookie. This is part of a, a narrative. It's part of, the, part of a, a story. Um, so you've got to go back to chapter 18. Um, and, and you could, you probably, we might not now for time, but you might want to go to chapter 20 and see, does chapter 20 
respond to this chapter mm-hmm. and help me understand what chapter 19 is saying. Uh, so literary context, which we can we can do biblical context, which is uh, w- what part of the Bible did this audience have in their hands? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Did they have all those things? It's almost impossible to know with Job. We hit, we're not given any dates. We're looking at a 1,500-year span. It could have been written. That's a really difficult thing to narrow down. Uh, there it's are probably some, less important in the book of Job. Yeah, it is because it doesn't give it to us. Right. Uh, there's a lot of hints that the theology, the name of God is in here. So it's probably could be post-Exodus where Yahweh is given for the first time yep. in the narrative of the covenants. There's clues in there that this is in a covenant setting to the covenant people. But we don't even know where Job but it was. It doesn't tell us that. Yeah, like we, he, yeah. he doesn't seem to be a Jew. I mean, kind of seems to have some Jewish leanings. Yeah. Or he's part of maybe a covenant. Yeah. The covenant. Uh, My know, best guess is that it has a Jewish audience, but that it's, um, it's light enough on Jewish specifics so that this is kind of a man. This is a question about man. Yeah, yeah. Mankind and how yeah. they relate to God, how they relate to suffering. Yeah. That's discussion. So in terms of biblical uh, or historical context, it's hard to know. When did, Historical context is where, you know, when did they receive this? Yeah. <clears throat> during the time of the kings, during the time of judges. Was it after exile? Was it yeah. before then? When? You know, like in the, the context from Matthew is, you know, you could tell me a generation within Jesus's actual yep. death. Yep. So that's the people who received it then. We don't know about Job, right? So we're, the probably the literary context is the best thing we have to grab something from uh, with confidence. Uh, so Job answered and said in verse 1, 19, 1. So we've got to go back to 18. What did Bildad say? And if you and, and look at chapter 18, verse 1. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, "So, so you our keep con- going back. Our for a long context time. just went back a chapter, yeah, which is important. If we just jump into chapter 19 and think I'll just read chapter 19 and I'll understand chapter 19, no. And if we say, okay, well, I'm going to go back and read chapter 18 so I can understand 19. Chapter 18 just told us to go back to yeah. chapter 17 and farther, and the actor and just keeps going. Yeah, right. So you." You, you can't, the, the Bible's telling us you can't do that. Right. You know? Um, so the argument before, I think for time's sake for here, we'll just look at chapter 18 for right now. Um, and say in verse 2, Bildad says, How long will you hunt for words? Consider, and then we will speak. I think that's kind of saying, Job, you, you keep saying the same thing. You can't find your words. Why don't you stop thinking about it not for not a minute. Not making any yep. sense. Verse 3, why are we counted as cattle? Why are we stupid in your sight? Which is a poetic way of saying, why are you calling your friends stupid? You're calling us stupid with your arguments. Verse 4, you who tear yourself in your anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you, or the rock be removed out of its place? Seems to be communicating that uh, whatever Job is arguing would basically be like asking the mountains to be moved out of the way and the whole order of the earth to be forsaken if your argument is true. You know, that's what we'd have to do to say your argument is true. Job, that you are innocent and that you are suffering, right? You, you have to reorder the universe Yeah. if you want to say that. You tell me the earth is flat? Is yeah. that what you're telling me? Yeah, and you're, you're and, and build that as saying you telling us that is calling us stupid right? because we all know better, right? Right. That's that may not seem as clear, but it definitely is clear if you're reading chapters three through seventeen. Sure. So just for the sake of for, for now, but then in in verse five, you, you could break this down into different units structurally, but we're really looking at nineteen. So we see in verse five, indeed, the light of the wicked is put out, and the flame of his fire, the wicked's fire, does not shine. Um, now again, structurally, really quick. The rest of the passage is talking about the wicked. Uh, talks about his steps. Talks about his net, a trap on his heel. Uh, talks about a, a rope hidden in the ground for him. It talks about his path. Can so, I ask something real quick? Yeah. You got uh, well, like one verse. Let's take just verse five. Yeah. You have two lines. Well, yeah. in the ESV, I think it's formatted to like four lines just because one line wraps, but you can kind of right. see 
that the the line starts indeed and then the second yeah. line starts and the flame yeah what what's the how do you read that so we'd call that a parallelism where it's two sentences that are saying the same thing in different ways that kind of help define each other that's a benefit of hebrew poetry actually Right? Absolutely, because you get to constant- read the first line and you're like, I have no idea it's what you're talking about. Constantly saying, "Let me say it another way." Yep. Uh, so if you're ever confused with someone, you can you can always say, "Could you restate your sentence, or could you say it in a different way, or could you give me an example?" I mean, that's what Hebrew poetry is doing. Yep. Here, here it is. Let me give you another example. Yeah. And now they're both saying the same thing. Yeah, which is really helpful. Yeah. yeah. So we see that over and over in this section. That's all through Job. That's that's poetry. That's Hebrew poetry. Uh, standard sometimes it'll be three sometimes it might be four lines uh, but yeah and so we see he it'll even be at the beginning of most of your sentences all the way to 21 uh, and it's basically saying over and over uh, it's describing the life of the wicked mm-hmm. uh, in verse 21 the very end surely which seems to be kind of a summary so this is my conclusion such are the dwellings in other words the things I said in 5 through 19, these are all kind of describing the dwellings of the unrighteous, such as the place of him who, no, who uh, knows not God. So Bildad is, is saying uh, in the chapter before, since we're not studying chapter 19, let's summarize 18, Yeah, uh, is basically saying Job, everyone knows that the life of the wicked is kind of a haunted God is... Uh, the, the the ones who don't know God, bad things follow them around. We were talking about earlier about the movie Final Destination where yeah. death is following everyone around. These accidents are happening and people are dying. You see it in verse 11, terrors frighten him on every side, chase him at his heels, you know. And he and it seems like in, in 18 he's saying this is, this is a natural way the world is ordered yeah. around the wicked. Yeah. He walks and he can't see two feet in front of his face. He yeah. stumbles on his own his own foolishness. Yeah. And the implication then is Job he says he says he has no posterity or progeny. We know mm-hmm. Job's kids have all died. Mm-hmm. Like so he he's basically kind of implying Job since you have suffered in the way that the wicked commonly suffer, <coughs> it you have done something right. that causes you to suffer this way. Now, connecting yours and mine together, yeah. the structure along with the context, if you, I think a great example to look at is verse 8 of chapter 18. Mm-hmm. It says, For he is cast into a net by his own feet. Mm-hmm. So this is Bildad saying, Hey, you're foolish and you're wicked and you just you stumble on your own devices. Mm-hmm. You're, you're cast in a net by your own feet. But then if you go to 19 verse 6, he says, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net, same word, mm-hmm. about me. Mm-hmm. So Bildad is saying, you're trapped by your own wickedness. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that the world works. Yeah. And Job is saying, no, God has brought this to me. That's, yeah. the, dif- that's the difference, right, yeah. between those two arguments. We've just stopped, looked at the structure, yep. look at the context, and you can see the relationship between the two and how the two's argument is a little different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. And, and there's there's more here to explore sure. that I think is worth going into right now. Right. Um, I, I really am convinced that chapter 18 is describing kind of a haunted experience for the wicked Yeah. in a way that the rest of the Bildad and other arguments aren't doing. Right. Um, but it, kind of irregardless... Regardless, uh, I know, dude. It's a habit. I don't know where it comes from. Uh, re- regardless, the the main point in eighteen is that Job, your suffering is obviously connected to your own sin. That's what that's the way the world works. Right. And we would have to upend the order of the universe to believe your statement about being right. innocent and suffering. And now Job says, "No, yeah. God has brought this to me. Yeah, this is." His hand that has done this. Yeah. I haven't done anything about it. This, yeah. this is God that's brought this. To me. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. So, so then, so we've got we we've seen the structure and yep. we've seen some points that are being made about the structure. Yep. We've looked at the context and we see how the two are relating to one another. Mm-hmm. Now, what do we got to do? Now we want to kind of summarize that into one argument. Yep. For the recipients of the book, what do we think chapter nineteen means? For those who read it the first time. Now, we've already said that's 
more difficult for Job because we don't know who those people are. But philosophically or in terms of doctrine, just in terms of summarizing maybe, what's the argument that this passage, uh, that this chapter is making? So kind of one, just one, we just need to put in a sentence so that it's simple, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have a sentence? I, I, so I'm I expecting have, you to have... So you have done this whole passage, so I'm expecting you to have all the answers. Um, so my the point that I think that the passage is advancing is... Or what I at least wrote down, and I, I, might, I might argue with myself now. <laughs> Everyone said, changes their worksheet sure, after they come yeah, to the Yeah, workshop. You're like, wait, yeah. well, I'm not sure I would write that again. Yeah. In spite of appearances... Job remains confident that in the end he will be vindicated by God. There's a lot more I could say, okay. I think. Yeah. Um, and there's probably... I would change it a bit. All right, go ahead. I would change it a bit because I think the uniqueness in this passage is not so much... The thing that you said that is unique, I think, this chapter is the final vindication of Job. Yeah. I will be vindicated in the end. Yeah. yeah. But I think... The another main message, so maybe the other half of that sentence would be verse 28, or the very last verse, 29. Be afraid of the sword. My friends, you guys are calling me stupid. And my final answer, and actually Job's about to, he's just a chapter or two away from getting his final remarks. My final answer is that you guys should be afraid of God's sword so, and judgment. In spite of appearances, in the end, Job remains confident that he will be vindicated and his friends will be judged. Yeah. You guys think I'm stupid. I'm telling you God is the one who's bringing this on me and my Redeemer lives. You guys should be afraid. Yeah. Those are the, that, Pot- that's not really a good sentence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but those are the pieces. Potentially you could, even, you could even see that in, in the my Redeemer lives statement yep. is connected to God bringing this about on me. God is active in this situation. Yeah. He is doing this. Yeah. And if he's doing this to me and he comes to vindicate me yeah. in the end, well, then you should really be afraid. Yeah. Because what he, he's just letting you go right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And eventually you're going to get the, the, the big judgment to come. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, it kind of puts a new little slant on that little My Redeemer Lives statement, doesn't it? It's, it's I think a we're going to see in a little terror. bit more, more of a slant. Yeah, more it, than a slant. Yeah, it's a te- it's a terror ridden yeah. statement yeah. more than it is like a coffee cup statement. Yeah, right. I, I mean, mean, there's some vindication to it. There's some it, you could put it on your coffee mug. Yeah, <laughs> give it to your friend. I mean, it's gonna mean something. Why don't you drink out of this one? <laughs> I want to think different about who you give it to. Yeah. Uh, if you get that on your coffee mug as a gift from Michael for Christmas <laughs> this summer or this Christmas, just know it, uh, it, it it probably not as a term of endearment. Yeah. yeah. So, but but the point is that that my redeemer lives statement is not just a champion verse. It's not even meant for Job per se. In the end, it's right. meant to bring fear to the friends. Yeah, you need to be afraid because my the God that I serve is active. He's gonna vindicate me, and he's going to judge you. He is a yeah. living God. Done messed up, a Ron. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna use that as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so we've kind of sum- uh, summarized that into yeah. one concise statement that sort of encapsulates yeah. the structure, the context, sort of putting it in in yeah. perspective. Yeah. Now, what do we do? Next thing is gonna be a gospel connection. All right. So. Uh, which is also really is a, so it's kind of a gospel connection, which means we're doing theological reflection. We are making connections to the rest of the Bible that we have in our hands. Yeah. So that might include any time this passage is referenced in the Bible, for sure, if this is quoted somewhere. But we want to connect it to Jesus. And that's not just because we think, you know what? We think Jesus is really important, and so we should connect everything to Jesus because that's kind of our, you know, we're we're Reformed seminary guys. We just we really love Jesus. We should connect everything to Jesus. No, Jesus's own understanding of the entirety of Scripture is that He's the center of it. He's the one who taught us to do this when we study the Bible. Uh-huh. So if you go to Luke twenty-four, you go to the road of, uh, on the road to Emmaus. Uh, Jesus comes up to these two disciples after his resurrection. They don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. 
And Jesus actually calls them fools. You know, you, you fools, don't you know who I am? Did you not know that the prophets had to be fulfilled, that Moses had to be fulfilled? And then he teaches them, and this is that road we all wish we could be on, that conversation we could all be in, that from, uh, that the prof, that from Moses to the prophets, uh, it's all been teaching about me. And then he says it later again in chapter 24 that includes the Psalms. So Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, the Psalms, which probably represents all of wisdom literature, probably Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Proverbs um, and the prophets. I mean, and the prophets were during the time of kings. They were preaching to, so that's going to draw in, that's the Old Testament. Yeah. Jesus saying the Old Testament, the prophets speaking during the time of kings, the word of Moses, the, the law, the songs, and the prophecy. But, all about it, me. It should be noted too that the Hebrew Bible has three divisions. Yeah. The Torah, the Navim, yeah. and the Kitabim, which are yeah. all three pieces of the of that of the Old Testament yeah. grouped into those. And yeah. so all the books of the Old Testament fall into one of those three categories yeah. that Jesus actually mentions. Yeah, he just mentioned the three volumes right, of right. the Old Testament. Exactly. And he says they're all about me. Yep. They all center on me. They they're all meant to teach about me, foreshadow me. I fulfill it. I mean it, it's saying you can't talk about it without talking about right. me. And me dying on the cross and raising from the dead is doing what they said it was going to do. Right. Y'all should have known this. Yes. If you, if, you, if you read the Old Testament, if you guys have read the Old Testament, you would know this is what was going to come all along. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, so that's why we open up any passage in the Old Testament, any and every passage, it's looking at, pointing to, somehow connected to Jesus. But so, you don't jump there first. Right. You right. got to do what we just did. We you go to the do original we... audience. What did this mean? Otherwise, the five stones in David's satchel represent faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And you got all these weird spiritual connections that don't actually exist. Right. They're disconnected. It's a spiritualizing. Right. Uh, you know, thematic connection. Where, well, and too, like I, know. I think, I think this is a perfect passage. Because if you jump straight to Jesus, you go, my Redeemer lives. Boom! Mm-hmm. And you'd sing a Nicole C. Mullen song and you'd shut the Bible and mm-hmm. call it a day. Yeah. I think she she sang that. <laughs> I don't even know if it was That's her. Absolutely correct. I'm 100%. pretty sure it was her. So, so you know, you, you would get to that song and you'd yeah. be like, praise the Lord, my mm-hmm. Redeemer lives. And you and you wouldn't consider, wait a minute, that's actually a trembly sort of my Redeemer lives. Yeah. You'd be afraid. So now the yeah, we Christ could, connection is a little bit different. Yeah, so the work we've already done forced us to not go straight there. Yeah. We've already said the emphasis is on, you guys are calling me stupid, but no, God's the one who done this. I have a Redeemer. He lives. You should be afraid. So we can't just say, well, my Redeemer lives. Oh, man, praise God. Jesus is my Redeemer, and he lives, and he rose from the dead, so I have a lot of hope. Yeah. And now Job 19 is about hope. Well, it is about hope, but not for Job's friends. Right. That's not what it does for Job's friends. Um, and his hope is not even that he'll live one day, but that he'll be vindicated, more specifically. Um, so we're asking theological questions, trying to connect this passage to Jesus himself. So I'm curious, you presented a paper on this, I'm curious what you put as your gospel connection, and I, you know, I want to know what you put first. I want to know if you changed change it. it since then. Well, um, I, I, I wouldn't change it. I would add to it. Okay. I wouldn't change it. I honed in on vindication. Okay. And I, I said, Christ Himself mm-hmm. in the resurrection was mm-hmm. vindicated. Mm-hmm. So Christ is. I mean, if you want to put it put a fine point on it, the Job sufferer mm-hmm. who is accused of God not being with him mm-hmm. on the cross by the Jews, he rises from the dead. And Paul even tells us in Romans 1, 1 to 4, mm-hmm. that his resurrection from the dead vindicated him yeah. as the son of God. Yep. So that, I think that's the first part of it. Yeah. The second part of it that I would add later. Which is important because it's, it's not saying my redeemer lives, Jesus lives, so I'll live. Right. It's not what it's about. Right. It's that he is alive. 
I will one day see him. Right. I will be vindicated, justified. I think, and I think yeah. what I would add to it is a lot of revelation sure. of his vindication means he has the keys to death in Hades. Yeah. He has, he, he, he has uh, all authority in heaven and earth is given to him. Yeah. He will come back and judge the yeah. living and the dead. Yeah. He has fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. Ooh, yeah. Right, so which are fear-inducing images in Revelation? Right. Yeah. So, so I think that picture of Romans one one to four, connected to Revelation, mm-hmm. key of death in Hades, fire in his eyes, mm-hmm. sword in his mouth. He will judge the living and the dead, um, to the one who conquers. Mm-hmm. Right, like that. All those images coming back from Revelation, mm-hmm. I think those come together to say, Christ. Yes, he is the redeemer that lives, but he is the judge. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more Job's point is yeah. that that m- m- the my my God, yes, is my redeemer, but he is also my judge. Which that's means, what he means. Even the redeemer means he's going to settle scores. Yes, at at the end. Yes, uh, not that he's um, necessarily it. He's going to give me my stuff back. Right. All the things he took away in chapter one and two, uh, but that redemption is personal vindication about what his friends are saying about him yeah which which are not true um so i'm, I'm interested what you think that the last thing that job says to his friends i mean just the words themselves so we we had a guy i'm not going to mention his name because it's pointless but like and my I, I presented a paper two papers on tuesday and they got corrected and helped and shifted but the last words in verse 29 are be afraid Sword, wrath, punishment, sword, know that there is a judgment. So, afraid, sword, wrath, punishment, judgment. That That's the last words Job brings in this round. Yep. And one of the guys that presented today said um, his les- the lesson that he wants to pass on to his audience was that we should be nicer to people who are suffering. Oof. Because you don't want to be a friend like Bildad's friend. And I, I get it. it. That's in the book of Job, right? Like, you don't right. want to be Job's friends, right, right? right? But it's a different tone when your gospel connection is Jesus was nicer with people who disagreed with him. And I'm going, Job just said, afraid, be afraid, sword, punishment, wrath, sword, judgment, like the storm of y'all going to die. Right. Not... Man, I wish I were nicer to me. Yeah. And so that that's just an example of if your if your gospel doesn't connect with the words, right? So if uh, the gospel itself includes everything from Jesus's, you know, conception by the Spirit to just looking at his life, you could even include his eternality, his conception by the Spirit, his life, then his death. Then his burial, yeah. then his resurrection, then his appearance, then his ascension, his reign now and forever, and then his one day coming back to justice or to justify the church, then his reign on the earth forever. All yeah. those are the all facets of the gospel. And in there, love, that's a facet. Mercy, that's a facet. Judgment on somebody on on and wrath is a part of the gospel. Uh, forgiveness is a part of the gospel. Uh, redemption is a part of the gospel. Uh, adoption is a way to talk about the gospel. Yeah. There's all of these pieces. And if your chapter is ending with be afraid, wrath is coming, punishment is coming, the sword is coming, judgment is coming, and your gospel connection is Jesus died to save sinners. Yeah. And that's it. Well, what about the fear? Right, what the right. ju- is is there pieces of that in the, gos- in the gospel yeah. that we got to kind of tap into that... Jesus showed up to the Pharisees who came up to get baptized by John and called them a brood of vipers. Yeah, Jesus spoke really harshly with the Pharisees in uh, Matthew twenty-three, the the seven woes. You whitewashed tomb. You, 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 he, he wasn't he wasn't a little nice guy running around with long hair, you know, right. drinking fraps or something like that. Like right. he 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 had words like Job. His words yeah. had teeth, and he was sharp. And and even his death and his resurrection is a judgment yeah. on Satan and all who are following him. So there's, there's got to be a connection where people don't just go, you you threw in your 60-second version of God-man response, you know, God-man-Christ response, and you just threw that into Job. 
but it's not really connected. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, so I'm not saying you're do, I'm not saying you're doing that, but just you know, in the conversation of we're trying to make a connection to what Job's actually saying and, and, to the gospel. And really, to be clear, like obviously, our goal preparing a sermon uh-huh. is a little different, slightly different from the person's goal sitting on their couch trying to study the Bible, just yeah. read the Bible and do the do kind of walk through these steps and study it. What we're really doing though is we're going the the gospel piece connecting that to to the passage how does Christ uniquely fit into this how is this is this looking forward to Christ if you get that right yeah then not only does it help you to interpret the passage mm-hmm. but then it potentially corrects you mm-hmm. encourages you oh yeah it it it, it um it informs your theology yeah. and how you look at the world yeah. so this is the shaping piece where you're getting up off your couch mm-hmm. in tears Mm-hmm. Maybe in rejoicing, maybe all of the above, right? Yeah. And so, so we're really, I think, asking here, like, what do you, what do you package at the end? Where, mm-hmm. where you kind of go, informed by all of this. Yeah. I'm walking away, going, okay. I, I think this is what I'm, I'm supposed to understand about this passage. Yeah. And I, and it's informed not only by the structure, yeah, the context, yeah, the 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 kind of summary of that, the gospel connection, mm-hmm. and. And I think you've got, so you've got to have in there Job saying, God has brought this to me, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So so there is an appearance in this passage that God is my enemy. Mm. And and he, he looks like that. Mm-hmm. I think to some degree, Job is giving a concession to mm-hmm. his friends and saying, mm-hmm. okay, I mean, I get it. Yeah. God has brought this to me and I'm saying he has done it. Mm-hmm. I, this isn't a result of me doing it. Mm-hmm. God has brought it to me and mm-hmm. yes, he looks like my enemy. Mm-hmm. The question, though, is will he in the end be my enemy? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer, if we bring mm-hmm. this through the gospel connection, is because mm-hmm. Christ has absorbed the wrath of God on the cross, mm-hmm. I can trust he is not my enemy. Yeah. But be warned, because yeah. if you are my enemy, yeah. then you are his enemy. Yeah, and... The, the end being God's going, this, this is tapping into the biblical theology in the whole Bible, that God's going to vindicate the righteous yes. in the end. Yes. And it forces me to realize, you know what, Job has a case here because Job won. And all through the book of Job and God's response to Job, they all vindicate Job. The story, the, the first two chapters, Job is blameless. God affirms, yep, have you checked Job? He's blameless. He has turned away from evil. Job is innocent through the book Yeah. in in the in response to his suffering. He didn't bring us about by his suffering, or he didn't bring his suffering about by his sin. But when we read this, we, we ought to realize we have a problem. I, I'm not going to get vindicated in the end on my own righteousness. Right. I'm right. not. I can't. I can't say what Job is saying. Right. When my friends come to me and say, "Hey, if you're you're telling us you're sinless, Nathan, do you think we're stupid?" I have to actually own up and say, "Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you stupid by denying my own sin." Yeah, I actually am a sinner, and if I stand before God, and the the living God shows up to talk to me about my sin, I don't get to say, "Woo! I'm so glad this is the day where God recognizes the truth." No. It's going to be sword, punishment, sword, judgment. For me. <laughs> For you, yeah. 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 And so Jesus is ultimately the means of my vindication. Right. Because my sin has been made right with God by Christ. And right. not by my uh, admitting my own righteousness, but by my admitting that I am unrighteous. And Jesus is the righteous one vindicated. His resurrection is that he's the one. Yeah. His resurrection is that your sins are paid for. So I'll be vindicated in the end as a Christian yeah. to those who would mock me. Yeah. Not because of me, because of Jesus. And I think that's the key that you have to remember is that the hero of the story is not you. 100%. This is not, I'm Job, my yep. Redeemer lives. Yep. This is Christ is Job. Yep. He's the one that's innocent. He's the one that rose. Yeah. He's the one that's vindicated yeah. in his resurrection. And if I'm included in him, then I am vindicated. And yeah. all the enemies of Christ, yeah. which would be by virtue, my enemies, yeah. are also then condemned. Yeah. And so I, when you know that, that I think that 
change you you did your morning quiet time yeah and you had some quiet reflection maybe over several days Absolutely. you've yeah. been thinking yeah. about this passage yeah I mean, this is not our first time talking about job 19 right and so you you've had several days you've thought about this you close your bible and yeah. you after having done all this and you're going christ is my righteousness yeah and you you're celebrating That's very different from walking away from the bible going i'm supposed to be better at something today right yeah which is probably true Sure. There's some application of what am I supposed to do now? Right. Uh, I shouldn't be like Job's friends. Right. I know I'm not like Job. I, I have all these cautions. But if I don't walk away with the... I, I love what Tim Keller says in... Uh, he I think it's the gospel from 50,000 feet. The gospel life from 50,000 feet in the gospel coalition. One of the best messages I've ever heard. One of the things he says in there is um, Pharisees, the law... One one of the things he said is funny. Actually, you'll know a Pharisee by this. They run around telling people that's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the law puts burden on, and the gospel takes burden off. Yeah. Of my soul, and, it, and in this passage, it takes the vindication off me. Yeah. If I leave going, well, I got to be vindicated by my own righteousness. It's a burden that the law puts on me that I can't yeah. bear. But the gospel actually takes the load off. Right. It takes it and it puts it on Christ. And then my how should I live and what kind of friend should I be is a response to Christ. Right. And my freedom in Christ and not my... Because you can even take the gospel and you can take a gospel connection and moralize it. Oh, yeah. Jesus was like this, so I should be like this so that then God will vindicate me with Jesus as my example. Well, right. that that's... That's way more damning than the law. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, you know, you gotta be like Jesus. Yeah. Uh, no thanks. Yeah. You know, no, no, we can't do that. So it's, of course, pursue righteousness and things like absolute, that. But, but yeah. the gospel connection is mm-hmm. Jesus did it for me. Jesus did what I couldn't do. He was righteous in the way He will be vindicated in the end. The only way I can be is if I'm if I'm with Him. And at the, it's at that point, having gone through that, that we can say, "My Redeemer lives." Yeah. And I thank the Lord yeah. that I'm found in Him. Yeah. Because if I wasn't, I would be yeah. very afraid. So let's think about be. some applications. So even just for ourselves or for a sermon or whatever, I think like one application would be if you're mocking the innocent, if you're mocking Christians, if you're mocking people who are uh, low, the people that people Jesus came to, you can expect to meet God for that. Yeah. God's going to deal with you for that, just as a general example. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think, too, we should. it should inform how careful we are with our judgment mm. and how our, our judgment towards somebody should come in the form of encouragement to pursue Christ, mm-hmm. that we should encourage people in— um, in their following of mm-hmm. Christ, in their adoration of Christ, mm-hmm. in, and encourage them by telling them and reassuring them of what Christ has done for them, mm-hmm. and to trust in Christ as the Redeemer. Mm-hmm. That is the only way you're avoiding judgment. So, for example, someone comes to me and says, you know what, I just feel like every time I walk through the kitchen, my, my scarf gets snagged on that nail. I think God's getting at me. Everywhere I go, it's like there's something following me around trying to get me. Uh, my whole life is my car keeps breaking down. I'm losing people to COVID. My car is breaking down. God's God, trying to tell you something. God right? is getting at me. And what? What? How many Christians have not tried in good faith to try to give someone that counsel in a good way? But it puts them in a place where they should have to up their sin, confess their sin. They have to get righteous and repent, uh, and and get vindicated. And those things might go away. And we're we actually all the time I think are Job's friends. Yeah, yeah. And we, but it's Christianized. Yeah. Right. Which Job's friends are too, in a sense. But the answer would be, you know what, sweetheart? Even if you do think I'm, pretending I'm talking to a woman here. Yeah. Maybe my wife, Your daughter. Know, who, yeah, whatever. maybe not just any woman. Some I don't call women sweetheart. <laughs> we should. Can we edit this? <laughs> but if we're talking, someone say, you know, listen, man, if you're afraid that you got cancer because of your sin. You might be right. I don't know. I don't know. Job doesn't know. You don't know. Who knows? Trust Christ. Christ is the only answer for your sin. Right. Might not get rid of cancer. You might die from cancer. But my Redeemer lives. I'll see him. You'll be vindicated. Christ was raised. Right. Die with cancer, confessing your sin, believing in Jesus, you're going to be fine. Yeah. 
It's different. It's good. Amen. Well, Amen. good to have you in Austin. It is. It's good to be in Austin. Well, let's go eat some barbecue. Let's go eat some barbecue. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast.